This morning, we're going to start off the show by speaking to our friend, Michael Swain. Michael is from 4SA, that's Freedom of Religion South Africa. They are a legal advocacy organization which works to protect and promote your constitutional right to religious freedom in South Africa. Michael is, of course, the executive director of 4SA. He studied law abroad. He has been successful in business and is a co-founder of the His People Every Nation Church movement in South Africa and lives in possibly the most beautiful city in the world after (laughs) Pretoria when the jacarandas are in bloom. (laughs) Michael, you join us from Cape Town this morning. It's good to be with you. Good morning, Mark. Great to be with you again as well. Listen, yeah, this morning we're going to be talking about an update on that meeting that you had with the Department of Justice to discuss the public participation process and possible changes to the Papuda Amendment Bill. I'm surprised that after a couple of years of speaking about Papuda, they haven't come up with a with a better sounding name than that. But but obviously that wasn't <laughs> the focus of the meeting. Maybe you can give us some background information on this bill and the purpose of the meeting. Thank you, Mark. Well, it actually is also known as the Equality Act. There you go. Perhaps a little bit to remember. <laughs> um, and it, it's a very important piece of legislation. It was passed into law in 2000, and it gives expression to the so-called Equality Clause, which is contained in Section 9 of the South African Constitution. And that obviously prohibits um, discriminate, unfair discrimination under certain grounds and in terms of certain uh, sort of classes, if you like. But it's a very important piece of legislation because it is second only to the South African Constitution in South Africa's hierarchy of law. Mm. So what that means is that uh, all other laws passed in South Africa must come into line with its provisions. Now, again, we all agree that equality is a central value, that unfair discrimination is unacceptable. But the problem with this amendment bill is that it so dramatically expanded the definitions of equality and discrimination that it opened a very, very wide net for legal liability if you fall foul of it. And as a consequence of that, as you might recall last year, we mounted a campaign and public comments closed on the 21st of of June last year, and over 100,000 written submissions, mostly from the faith community, uh, many of which were via the DRSA platform, which you know we use, uh, were submitted. And again, this meeting albeit quite a long time later, uh, we were very appreciative of the opportunity that we were given. The Deputy Minister of Justice, John Jeffrey, uh, gave us the opportunity and others uh, of the faith community, other stakeholders, to, to give basically uh, a highlight of our concerns, to clarify them, and also to hear the department's feedback on this public participation process. So, so Michael, you're, you're sitting at a round table, you're in front of government representatives, folk that are responsible for this bill, what are the kinds of things that you raised? What were the kinds of concerns that you had about the proposed changes um, that the bill will bring to Papuda? Well, one of the big ones was, of course, the definition of equality, which is central. And in this bill, it's defined as equal rights and access to resources, opportunities, benefits and advantages. And and if you look at that uh, in its basic meaning, that means that everyone is equally entitled to everything. Uh, That that, that eliminates any reason that you might have to try and withhold a benefit that you might be giving somebody from somebody else. 
then the other one, of course, is discrimination. And the Constitution in the, uh, Section 9, as I mentioned, says that you cannot unfairly discriminate. But of course, this bill, in many cases, just left the word unfair out. And it covers, and again, I'm quoting from the bill, any act or omission, which either intentionally or, or not, directly or not, causes prejudice to, or otherwise undermines the dignity of any person on one of the multiple prohibited grounds. So you can see immediately that this is an extremely broad definition that catches just about everybody, and it is a very subjective definition. Mm. It also removes the requirement of intention. Uh, so whether you meant to or not, whether you knew it or not, uh, if you could be shown to have committed any act or omission intentionally, then you're caught in the net. And I'll give you an example because it also extends the liability. So let's supposing that a religious leader uh, teaches a message uh, and a member of the congregation acts on it or repeats it, or maybe you play it over the radio yes. and somebody feels prejudiced by it or they feel that their dignity has been undermined. The religious leader would obviously be in the hot seat. So would the religious institution they represent. And equally, so would you as the radio station for having actually uh, then pushed that same message, regardless of the fact that you didn't really have any idea or intention uh, of harming anybody. So that is very problematic. Uh, I mean, uh, as I'm as I'm listening, and because we've been in this conversation for so long, uh, I'm very tuned into some of the concerns. But if there is an accusation of discrimination which is brought under Papuda, is there any way of testing it for fairness? Um, if you have a sincerely held religious conviction, and there are reasons why you may have said or done something uh, which might be seen to be discriminatory, and I can think of plenty of examples even off the top of my head, is that sufficient justification um, because the right uh, to religious freedom is also specifically protected by Section 15 of the Constitution? So doesn't that trump a pooter in some way? Yeah, you've raised probably one of the most significant concerns that we have had about Papuda, even in its current form, even without these amendments. And that is that if you can show that somebody has discriminated against you, then that discrimination is automatically, according to this law, deemed to be unfair. Mm. And now it is up to you as the person who is accused of discriminating to now justify its fairness. But there is a test in Section 14 of this Act, which you have to then pass. Now, the Constitution and the Constitutional Court, specifically the Constitutional Court in many judgments, has stated that there is no hierarchy of rights. And typically what happens when there is a clash of rights is that you look for the best way to reasonably accommodate both rights so that the maximum benefit of whichever right may have to give way mm. can be uh, reasonably enjoyed still. Okay. But unfortunately, Papuda creates effectively a hierarchy of rights and, 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 and religious freedom is essentially trumped by other rights according to this test. The, the, the challenge is this, that the spirit of the Constitution envisages a society built on dignity, mm. on equality, on freedom, where we celebrate our diversity. But the effect of the test in this bill attempts to create a society which is based upon unity and conformity and where equity of outcome, in other words, everybody has to end up in the same place, 
is the driving principle and other rights are basically not properly considered. And so one of the big things that we have been pushing for throughout is the need to emphasize specifically and to amend the Section 14 test to insert a clause prohibiting unfair discrimination on the grounds of religion, conscience, or belief. In other words, if you can show, as to get back to where we started in your question, that your sincerely held religious conviction uh, and belief has caused you to do a certain thing or to say a certain thing, that should be considered and weighed in equally with this test. Okay, Michael. So so maybe just bring it down to you kind of grassroots face based faith based institutions and organizations, kinda of like local churches level. What are your actual concerns about the effects this bill could have in its current form on those organizations? Well, one of the things that is very invasive and intrusive is that there is also the proposal in this bill that organs of state or or departments of government can actually uh, directly intervene and discriminate in the constitutions and memorandums of understanding of religious organizations by forcing them to amend those to reflect its definition or its version of equality. Mm. And of course, you know, that that is deeply problematic because it it has a a, a very different view of equality, equality of of opportunity. Yes, absolutely. And I think everybody would uh, agree with that one. But equality of outcome, which is kind of equity, uh, is very concerning. And of course, what that would do is effectively it would override your right as a church organization to decide who would be a member of your of your church or congregation, mm. uh, what the qualifications for leadership would be. Oh, that's uh, a key one that I immediately think of. Yes. So, 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 so it really is. It, it is effectively the death knell of the autonomy of religious organizations to set their own uh, membership standards and requirements and their own disciplinary processes, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, very potentially invasive. And again, effectively that would amount to state control of religion because it would be a department of government. In our case, in the um, religious sphere, probably COGTA, um, which is the the, the uh, department to whom the CRL Rights Commission answers to, they would probably have that power. So again, very invasive and very intrusive yeah. and uh, an unacceptable infringement of the right to religious freedom. You know, Michael, even as I'm thinking about this, I'm remembering back to conversations that we've had over the last year and even into last year um, on a wide range of topics, whether it be the marriage policies um, that Home Affairs had put in place, whether it be the religious marriage offices would not be required to solemnize um, unions and, and, and such like. The, the I can remember a couple of weeks ago saying to you, it feels as if there's been a number of gains in this conversation between church and state, a number of positive um, outcomes, if you will, uh, that we've experienced and that we're celebrating for a moment. Um, but I, I think it's true to say that that if all of this came to fruition, there could be major reversals of, of those gains. Um, this could be, um, in some ways, um, going back a, a number of years and, uh, and, and creating major tension in terms of this ongoing conversation between the church and the state. Well, well, absolutely, because as I said to you the, at the beginning, the uh, PAPUDA, the Equality Act, is the second 
most important piece of legislation and everything has to conform with it. Mm. So, yes, the marriage policy, which we again were celebrating because the Department of Home Affairs, after extensive you know, consultation, uh, basically said that religious marriage officers would not be required to solemnize the yes. union contrary to their conscience uh, and faith convictions. But if you look at how this might apply, uh, if you are, as a religious marriage officer, marrying you know, some per people or type of people, say, um, then you could be seen to be giving a benefit and not dealing fairly with people who you don't want to uh, solemnize the union of. And that could effectively be overridden. Now, again, that 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 would be a, a, a serious setback. But we are hopeful, I must say, that these considerations and these concerns have been now heard and heard clearly. And we're looking now ahead to see what the Deputy Minister and the Department of Justice will do as they come to redraft this a particular bill. So, so, Michael, you sit in front of this panel, you sit in this kind of, um, this conversation with a number of leaders, uh, in both leaders from government as well as leaders from religious organizations and other organizations, and you make representation. What are some of the main amendments that 4SA um, put on the table um, for any draft version of the bill? Well, we, we particularly want to see the, the test for fairness uh, amended so that it does include consideration of sincerely held re religious and conviction and thought and belief and opinion. And, and, and we also want to put in a clause to say that that freedom, freedom of religion, conscience, thought, belief and opinion is specifically protected in the bill because at the moment those things are omitted. Yes. Uh, and you know, th that being the case, we would be very happy. And the, the deputy minister did say in his summary of the meeting that uh, he gave a verbal assurance that it is not the intention of the bill, even though it might appear to be so, uh, as we've gone through all these examples, uh, it is not the intention of the bill to interfere with religious autonomy or doctrinal interpretation of any religious organisation, and that the department would look at ways to incorporate the concerns that we raised and, and potentially to include those specific clauses that I've mentioned. That would be a big win. Um, and he did also ask us to send through a summary of our concerns, which we will be doing uh, as well. And we are in touch with the department. So there is a dialogue open, which is a good thing. Now, it doesn't mean to say it's a guaranteed thing, but it sure. is at least a good thing. And what the department will now do, uh, the next step will be they're going to take these submissions into account. And then this goes through to cabinet for approval. And thereafter, it goes to parliament and it is likely there's going to be a further round of public participation and opportunity to comment thereafter. So let's just watch this. We will be watching this like a hawk because, as I say, it's such a critical yeah. piece of legislation. And let's all be ready. Let's all be aware. Let's all be alert uh, so that when the next opportunity comes to comment, depending upon what amendments may or may not have been made, we are ready to respond and to participate. It is so important that we, as the public, make our voices heard to government. Well, let me just uh, remind the listeners that if they want to stay informed, and they really should be staying informed, and even have opportunity to engage further 
uh, in the vital matter when 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 there are DSA opportunities and various different opportunities to engage with government, that probably the best way to do that is to go to www.4sa.org.za and on the website you can sign up for the 4SA uh, newsletter. Uh, there are short videos and articles, there's a blog, uh, there's all kinds of resources and, uh, and information uh, to make you aware of other matters where our religious freedoms are under, under threat. And uh, folk can also follow you guys on uh, on Facebook on Freedom of Religion SA, as well as your YouTube channel uh, for SA. Um, anything that I've missed out on there, Michael? No, that sounds like a lot. But <laughs> yes, we, we really do want to do, and we make a big effort to do whatever we can to let people have this information uh, accurately, timelessly, so that they can understand the issues and get involved as and when the opportunity arises. Well, Michael, God bless you. Thank you so much for engaging with us this morning. And uh, do trust that uh, the Lord will continue to strengthen you guys to the task that he has set you to. Every blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. God bless.